0: Hello, this is Michael Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. It is my pleasure to present to you the highlights of our February issue. The theme of this American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology presidential theme issue is Social Determinants of Health in Allergy Immunology, and we thank editorial board members Carla Davis and Ann Chen Wu for serving as coordinators for this theme. The objective of this theme issue is to provide information and insight regarding how social determinants of health and health disparities affect the conditions treated by allergist immunologists and how addressing them can both improve individual health outcomes and reduce health disparities. We are very pleased to present this theme issue as part of American Academy of Allergy Asthma and Immunology President Jonathan Bernstein's presidential initiative regarding social and environmental health determinants and disparities. The excellent theme review articles include an opening discussion of pharmacoequity in access to medications for allergic and immunologic diseases, and then presentations of the relationships of social determinants of health and health disparities to inborn errors of immunity, atopic dermatitis, eosinophilic gastrointestinal diseases, food allergy, and asthma. The last theme review article addresses the important but generally less studied topic of rural health disparities in allergy immunology. Finally, an insightful theme editorial authored by theme coordinators Carla Davis and Ann Chen Wu along with American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology President Jonathan Bernstein, does a terrific job of summarizing and contextualizing these theme review articles. In addition to the theme review articles, the February issue also contains a case studies and health disparities feature on the subject of social determinants of health impacting diagnosis and management of primary immunodeficiencies and a Global Allergy and Asthma Excellence Network, Galen, position paper on the topic of selecting allergy-friendly vegetation. Now let me present the highlights of the original articles in this issue, which are on the subject of health disparities, anaphylaxis, asthma, dermatitis, drug allergy, mast cell disorders, and urticaria. The first article is Black Emerging Adults with Uncontrolled Asthma, a qualitative study by Lee et al. What is already known about this topic? Black Emerging Adults with Asthma experience unique challenges which may lead to poor health outcomes. What does this article add to our knowledge? Using focus group methodology, this study identifies barriers to optimal asthma care in Black Emerging Adults related to anxiety technology use, coronavirus disease 2019, and racism. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Achieving optimal asthma control in Black emerging adults will require a multifaceted and interdisciplinary approach, with technology potentially serving as an intervention to overcome health disparities. The next article is factors associated with epinephrine use in the treatment of anaphylaxis in infants and toddlers by Pistiner et al. What is already known about this topic? Prompt treatment of anaphylaxis with epinephrine is standard of care, but studies demonstrate that treatment remains common, especially among infants and toddlers. What does this article add to our knowledge? a prior diagnosis of food allergy and provision of an anaphylaxis action plan are associated with increased likelihood of treating anaphylaxis with epinephrine among infants and toddlers. How does this study impact current management guidelines? The results support and reinforce current recommendations for early evaluation of a food allergy and provision of anaphylaxis action plans for infants and toddlers. Until now, these recommendations were established by expert opinion. The next article is Work-Related Asthma and its Impact on Quality of Life and Work Productivity by Swerthana et al. What is already known about this topic? There is scarce and often discordant information on the impact of work-related asthma on quality of life and work productivity compared with non-work-related asthma. What does this article add to our knowledge? Asthmatic subjects have a lower general health-related quality of life and overall work productivity compared with non-asthmatic subjects, with greater impairment in subjects with work-related asthma than in those with non-work-related asthma. How does this study impact current management guidelines? a more holistic approach to identifying and managing work-related airway disease in clinical practice is needed to reduce the global burden of asthma. The next article is Effectiveness of a Maintenance and Reliever Digihaler System in Asthma, 24-Week Randomized Study, Connect2, by Maznayim et al. What is already known about this topic? Challenges in achieving asthma control include a poor inhaler technique, poor treatment adherence, and short-acting beta-2 agonist overuse. Digital health tools have been shown to help address such challenges. What does this article add to our knowledge? In this 24-week study, participants with uncontrolled asthma using the maintenance and reliever digihaler system had an 88.7% probability of achieving greater odds of improvement in asthma control than those using standard of care, maintenance and reliever inhalers. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Its findings show that the maintenance and reliever digihaler system provides important information, including information on adherence and inhaler technique to patients and healthcare professionals to improve asthma management. The next study is Real-World Effectiveness of Statin Therapy in Adult Asthma by Park et al. What is already known about this topic? Statins have been shown to have a potential leak to asthma, but the relationship has not been clearly revealed. More research is required to determine the long-term effectiveness and safety of statins for asthma control. What does this article add to our knowledge? Based on the longitudinal outcome models, this study demonstrates a correlation between statin use and a decreased risk of exacerbations. In addition, we found no significant differences in the risk of new-onset type 2 diabetes. How does this study impact current management guidelines? This study suggests that statins may be an effective treatment option for adult patients with asthma. Further studies are needed to confirm these findings and determine the optimal dose and duration of statin for asthma management. The next article is Efficacy and Safety of Biologics for Oral Corticosteroid-Dependent Asthma, a Systematic Review and Network Meta-Analysis by Finu et al. What is already known about this topic? Patients with oral corticosteroid, ocs dependent asthma have experienced side effects from corticosteroids. According to the Global Initiative for Asthma Guideline, biologics are preferred maintenance therapy compared with OCS for severe uncontrolled asthma and potentially have OCS sparing effects. What does this article add to our knowledge? Our network meta-analysis found that benralizumab, dupilumab, and mepolizumab had OCS sparing effects compared with placebo, where tralokinumab, tezepelumab, and subcutaneous reslizumab had no such impact. The efficacy of benralizumab and mepolizumab correlated with high baseline blood eosinophil counts, whereas that of dupilumab was associated with high pheno, regardless of blood eosinophil levels. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Benralizumab, dupilumab, and mepolizumab had OCS-sparing effects. Thoroughly considering baseline biomarkers helps in choosing the appropriate biologics for OCS-dependent asthma. The next article is Incident Asthma, Asthma Exacerbations, and Asthma-Related Hospitalizations in Patients with Atopic Dermatitis by Wan et al. What is already known about this topic? Atopic dermatitis, AD, is thought to predispose to asthma development via the atopic march, and birth cohort studies to date have supported this notion, finding a higher incidence of asthma in children with AD. What does this article add to our knowledge? Studies of AD and asthma that account for the impact of AD severity and the severity of asthma outcomes are limited. Our study further characterizes asthma risk related to AD in both children and adults. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Risk of asthma and subsequent asthma-related exacerbation and hospitalization increase with the presence and severity of AD, especially in children. Those with more severe AD may benefit from increased attention to control of their asthma. The next article is, Is a Prolonged Drug Provocation Test Better Than a Single-Day Drug Provocation Test? A Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis by CoolAlert et al. What is already known about this topic? Despite Drug Provocation Test, DPT, being recommended as a reference standard test for confirming or delabeling beta-lactam hypersensitivity reaction, there is currently no consensus regarding the duration of DPT. What does this article add to our knowledge? The prevalence of confirmed beta-lactam hypersensitivity reaction was 3.31% during the first day DPT and 3.65% during extended day DPT, with 28 additional extended day DPTs needed to identify one additional mild reaction. Approximately half of the positive reactions during extended day DPT occurred during the second or third day. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Taking into account the adverse effects of long-term antibiotic use and acknowledging the study's limitation that reactions during extended-day DPT may have been caused by the initial-day DPT, our research findings do not definitively endorse the use of extended-day DPT instead of single-day DPT. Further randomized controlled trials are needed to compare these two approaches. The next article is Safety of Direct Drug Provocation for the Evaluation of Penicillin Allergy in Low-Risk Adults by Brillant Marquis et al. What is already known about this topic? Penicillin allergy label is common, but true allergy is rare. Direct oral challenge is recommended for diagnosis in low-risk children, but skin testing is still commonly performed in adults because recommendations are less clear. What does this article add to our knowledge? Direct drug provocation testing is safe as a diagnostic method for penicillin allergy in low-risk adults, and skin testing has no diagnostic value in low-risk patients with poor positive predictive value. How does this study impact current management guidelines? our findings suggest that adults at low risk of penicillin allergy should undergo direct drug provocation testing for penicillin allergy diagnosis. This method could be implemented in first-line medical practice to maximize delabeling efficiency. The next study is In-Situ Patch Test and Repeated Open Application Test for Fixed Drug Eruption, a multi-center study by Trenu et al. What is already known about this topic? In-situ tests have been used for the Allergological Assessment of Fixed Drug Eruption, FDE, but few data are available on a large population, and particularly on the usefulness of repeated open application in-situ tests, such as the in-situ repeated open application test. What does this article add to our knowledge? based on 57 patients the sensitivity of global in situ tests was over 50% in situ patch test sensitivity of 31.5% in situ repeated open application test of 35% with 10% of remote reactivation of fde sites drug challenge was well tolerated how does this study impact current management guideline The three-step standardized allergy workup involving successively in-situ patch test, in-situ repeated open application test, and drug challenge is a safe and reliable method for the etiological diagnosis of FDE with a good sensitivity of in-situ repeated open application test. The next article is standardized quantification of mast cells in the gastrointestinal tract in adults by Itting et al. What is already known about this topic? Studies report a wide range of mean values for mast cell counts in the gastrointestinal tract in adults. However, they use several uncommon stains and do not distinguish between microanatomic sites and microscopic field size. What does this article add to our knowledge? This study provides reference ranges for normal mast cell counts throughout the gastrointestinal tract in adults using the most common stains of tryptase and CD117 and standardizing these counts for varying microscope field sizes. How does this study impact current management guidelines? This study shows that the commonly cited upper limit of normal of 20 mast cells per high-power field, irrespective of segment of the gastrointestinal tract, underestimates the normal range in stomach, duodenum, and colon and provides a framework for further studies regarding mast cell counts in various disease states. The last article is Comorbid Inducible Urticaria, is linked to non-autoimmune chronic spontaneous urticaria. What is already known about this topic? Many patients with chronic spontaneous urticaria, CSU, also have chronic inducible urticaria. Comorbid chronic inducible urticarias may affect the course and clinical manifestations of CSU, but little is known about this. What does this article add to our knowledge? Patients with CSU with comorbid chronic inducible urticaria less often have angioedema, concomitant autoimmune diseases, low total IgE, and eosinopenia. Our findings suggest that standalone CSU may be more often type 2b autoimmune than CSU with comorbid chronic inducible urticaria. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Our findings call for assessing patients with CSU for comorbid chronic inducible urticaria and may help guide patient counseling and CSU management decisions. Thank you for listening to the highlights of the February issue of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. This is Michael Schatz, and I hope you find this issue beneficial for you and your patients.